0: This program is made possible by BibleWaymedia.org overseen by the Ulog Church of Christ in Ulaga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd.
1: Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures. Today we want to ask a question, and we'll get to that question in a minute. But people Choose their own lifestyle. If they want to be a thief, they steal for a living. If they want to drink alcohol, they stop off for a drink on the way home, visit bars, nightclubs. If they want to be a great sports fan, they may tailgate before the big game and go to every game. See, people do what they want to do. And people do not want anyone or anything to hinder what they want to do. Well, you see, that's where God comes in. God makes demands of us that may cause us to change our lifestyle if we want to do his commands. You see, we won't be stealing anymore. We won't be drinking alcohol anymore. We won't be going to a big game when we should be in worship services such as that. But someone might ask this question, and this is the title of the lesson. What gives God the right to tell me what to do? What gives God the right to tell me what to do? Well, let's look and see. First of all, God can say, well, this is who I am. God is eternal. In Psalm 90 verses 1 and 2, Psalm 90 verses 1 and 2, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God is eternal. We're not. We're immortal, but we're not eternal. In Micah, chapter five, look at verse two. Micah, chapter five, verse two. It says there, but thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, Whose goings forth have been from old from everlasting. There he's talking about Jesus the Christ. So God the Father is everlasting. He's eternal. Christ is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. Let's go over to first Timothy chapter one verse seventeen. First Timothy chapter one verse seventeen. He says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So God is eternal. Again, we're not. We're flesh and blood. We had a beginning. We will have an end of this physical life our spirits will live on, and on the resurrection day, we're going to be brought back together, and we're going to be told, or going to be awarded or punished according to how we've lived this life, but God also is our creator. Back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven. In Exodus chapter twenty, verse eleven, Exodus chapter twenty, verse eleven says, "For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is—that's including us—and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it." In Psalm eight, look at verses three through five. Psalm eight verses 3 through 5. The psalmist declared, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. The word there is Elohim. Which also is translated God. The American Standard Version does translate it that way, made us a little lower than God. And has crowned him with honor and glory. God is our creator, and it mentions there, he crowned us with honor and glory. In Psalm 33, look at verse 6. Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Everything, you know, back in Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. There was light. God said this, it was happening. God said, and it happened. By the word of the Lord, all of these things stood fast. And in verse 8 here, he says, Let all the earth fear the Lord and let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. In Psalm, that was 33, let's look at Isaiah 44, 24 to 26. Isaiah 44, 24 to 26. It says, Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself, that frustrateth the tokens of the liars, and maketh diviners mad, and turneth wise men backward, and maketh their knowledge foolish, that confirmeth the word of his servant, and performeth the counsel of his messengers, that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited, And to the cities of Judah ye shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof. But the things there that we're looking at God is our Redeemer. He formed us from the womb, He stretches out the heavens alone, He spreadeth abroad the earth by Himself. And in Isaiah 55, 8, and 9. Isaiah 55, 8, and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God is eternal. God is our creator. And God upholds this creation, that he made by the word of his power. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, and look at verses 1 through 3, and then we're also going to look at verses 10 through 12. So Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God, who at sundry time and in diverse manners spake in time past, Unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Who, speaking of his Son, Christ, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So right there we see that Christ, Jesus, this one who is our savior upholds all the creation by the word of his power. And God owns the universe. Look at Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. Those verses read, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. God owns everything. In Psalm 89, look at verses seven to 13. Psalm 89, verses seven to 13. This says there, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee? Now verse 9, thou rulest the raging of the sea, when the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. Verse 11 says, The heavens are thine, the the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. And then go ahead and we're going to read down through verse 13. The north and the south, thou hast created them. Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in thy name. Two mountains there. Thou hast a mighty arm. Strong is thy hand and high is thy right hand. So who is God? He is eternal, he's our creator. He upholds the creation by the word of his power. He owns the universe. So we ask the question, what gives God the right to tell me what to do? Well, that's enough right there, but let's go on. So God says, this is who I am. And now he says, this is what I require. God requires, first of all, obedience. In Leviticus chapter 10, Look at verses 1 and 2. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them a censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Now stopping there, examine the verse a little. Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, so they were priests, they were the right people, Took either of them as censer, the right ones to do that, and put fire therein and incense thereon. So the fire and the incense, these were the right people to do it, the right ingredients to do it. But the fire that they used had not been commanded by God. Verse 2 says, And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. You see, they used, they were the right people, they used the right incense, they used the right censer, they used the wrong fire. Where did they get the fire from? We don't know. We know from other passages that they should have gotten it off the altar of burnt offerings. So the only thing we do know is they didn't get it there. God demands obedience. In Numbers chapter 16, look at verse 46. Numbers chapter 16, verse 46. That verse says, and Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar. This is where he tells us to get the fire. We told him to get the fire from. And put incense, put on incense, and go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there is great wrath gone out from the Lord, and the plague is begun. So right there is where they should have taken the fire from. But they disobeyed and they died. God killed them, In Numbers chapter 4, look at verse 15. Numbers chapter 4, verse 15. It says there, And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is to set forward, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it. And they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. There is the commandment. In second Samuel, look at chapter six, verses one through seven. Second Samuel chapter six verses 1 through 7. It says, There again David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baali of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. This is 450 years after the pattern was given on how to carry it. And they said, don't touch it. And yet here Uzzah did, and what happened? He died before God. In Micah chapter 6, look at verse 8. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. you got to go the right direction here. Micah 6, 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. That means obeying Him. Walk humbly with Him. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus made the simple statement, If you love me, keep my commandments. And then over in Luke, Jesus said there, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? That is Luke chapter 6, verse 46. So if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, but why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? And then also, we want to look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, all them that love him and keep his commandments, not those that call him Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that he says. So God requires obedience. And we see what happens when people don't obey. Well, God says, I require something else of you. I require your life. I require your life. Look at Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Solomon there says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man. Four, God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Every secret thing, every work we do, everything we think, everything that we do that we think nobody else knows about, God is going to bring forth in the judgment day. So He requires our lives. In Matthew chapter 10, look at verses 34 through 39. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth me is not worthy of me. Verse 39 says, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. So verse 38 mentions there, If we do not take our cross, that's self-denial. We must deny ourselves daily. We go over to Luke chapter 9. We find that. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 He said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Not every once in a while we are to die to ourself daily. That's what taking up cross means. You are those that were crucified carry their crosses to their death. And that's what we're to do. Take up our cross daily. So God requires obedience. God requires our lives. But God also requires punishment for sin. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul wrote, Therefore all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Romans 6:23, he says, For the wages of sin is death. So all have sinned. All face spiritual death. But also, he says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, that's going to get kind of into what we're going to look at next. God says, This is what I've done. He gave us a gift, a gift of eternal life that comes only through Christ Jesus, His Son. And we'll see a little more about that a little bit later. In James 1, 13 to 15, James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 It says, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. That doesn't happen. God does not tempt us to sin. It says, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted or enticed when he's drawn away of his own lust or his own longing and enticed. The second word there, enticed, means entrap. So we are enticed or tempted when we're drawn away of our own longing and we are entrapped. Thus when lust, that longing, hath conceived or it has captured us, it produces or bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin, when it is born, it's dead at birth. So that's what we're looking at there. We sin when we are drawn away of our own lust, and then we're trapped in it, we're captured by it, and then it brings or produces spiritual death. Well, in Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 to 15. Revelation 20, I want to look at verses 11 to 15. He says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, in this passage, we read there in verse 12, all of the dead, small and great, are going to come before the throne of God, the judgment seat of God, individually. We're not coming there as a group. Husband and wife won't come there together. We're going to come before the throne or before God individually. And then it mentions the books were opened. All right, books. Whenever we think of books, we have one book that is mentioned there, and that's the book of life. We also see that there were things written in the books according to our works. So in other words, our life is contained in one of those books. Again, this is figurative language, but God knows these things. And what else do you think it might be? John 12:48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So one of those books that were figuratively opened is the word of God. We are going to be judged according to how well the, our life conformed to the scriptures. And that determines whether our name is in the book of life or not. So, God says, I'm eternal, I'm your creator, I uphold the creation by the power of my word and I own the universe. And he says, I require obedience, I require your life, and I require punishment for sin. Well, all have sinned, so God says, this is what I've done. This is what I've done for you. First of all, I am merciful to you. In Psalm 103, let's look at verses 8 through 19. Psalm 103, verses 8 through 19. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Now you think about that. If you go north and south, you can go north all the way to a point. When you reach the North Pole, you start going south. And you go south till you get to the South Pole, And then you start going north. But if you go west, you're always going west. If you go east, you're always going east. You never meet that area where all of a sudden you're going west when you're headed east. That never happens. Verse 13, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments, to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. So God is merciful. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at verses 4 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 10. Paul says, "'But God, who is rich in mercy, "'for his great love wherewith he loved us, "'even when we were dead in sins, "'he hath quickened us, or made us alive together "'with Christ, by grace are you saved, "'and hath raised us up together, "'and made us sit together in heavenly places "'in Christ Jesus.' that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We saw that gift mentioned earlier, did we not, in Romans six twenty-three, The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. But then verse nine, Of Ephesians 2 he says not of works lest any man should boast we can't work our way to heaven but verse 10 says for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them we will be judged Revelation chapter 20 that we looked at a while ago, verses 12 through 15, we are judged by our works. We're not saved by our works, we're judged by our works, according to how our lives, again, conformed to the teachings of the Word of God. So God is saying, I'm merciful to you. And then He says, I sent the Savior to rescue you from sin. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's how much God loves us. He goes, I love you this much to send Jesus the Christ, the Word, John 1, 1, 1, 14. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among men, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. So we, I sent the Word to save you, to rescue you, because you needed a perfect sacrifice for your sin and that's what God provided. Because we go over to Hebrews chapter 10, we find that those old animal sacrifices could never do what the blood of Christ could do. In verse four of Hebrews 10 it says, "For, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Wherefore, or because of that, when he cometh into the world, this is the Christ speaking prophetically here through the psalmist. When he cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. You see, you, would, you know, the sacrifices and the offerings, those all had to come because of sin. But there was a body prepared. The Lamb of God the sacrifice of God, that body prepared for the word who was called the Son of God. Verse 6 in Hebrews 10, he says in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, thou hadst no pleasure. Why? Because they had to be for sin. Verse 7, Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God, In other words, the one who had the body prepared, Jesus the Christ, came to do God's will perfectly. Verse 8, And above all, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which were offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He said, He taketh away the first, That law of Moses is taken away that he may establish the second, the law of Christ that we live under now. By the which will, we, we, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, the offering of the Lamb of God. Let's go back to the book of John. Go back to the book of John there. And in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the baptizer, it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then in John chapter 14, look at verses 1 through 3. Jesus said there, "'Let not your heart be troubled. "'You believe in God, believe also in me. "'In my Father's house are many mansions. "'If it were not so, I would have told you. "'I go and prepare a place for you. "'And if I go and prepare a place for you, "'then I will come again and receive you unto myself, "'that where I am, there ye may be also.'" Jesus came to rescue us from sin. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. Romans chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. It says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves service to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? In other words, you have a choice. Going back to our question, What gives God the right to tell me what to do? God's just saying, this is who I am, this is what I've done. You make your own choice. Verse 17, but God be thanked. Now notice the verbs here. That ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin you became the servants of righteousness. You're no longer serving sin. You're now serving righteousness. He rescued us from sin. Look at verse 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. God's saying, I have provided for you everlasting life, but it's still up to you? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter five verse 21. Second Corinthians chapter five verse 21. It says, "Of Christ, "For He, God the Father, made him, Christ the Son, to be sin for us, who knew no sin. He is the perfect Lamb of God, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him through His sacrifice, through His blood. In First Peter chapter 1, look at verses 3 through 5. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It says there, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now notice, to an inheritance it is incorruptible and undefiled and fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept or guarded by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So God is merciful, because this is what I've done. I'm merciful to you. I sent the Savior to rescue you from sin. And he says, and I gave you the process by which you can have salvation. You see, you have this process. Romans ten seventeen. so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's the very beginning of the process, listening to the word of God in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 he says but without faith it is impossible to please God so if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God we got to know what the word of God says in order to develop the faith that is pleasing to God he continues in verse 6 for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and That he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, not just seek him every once in a while or seek him a little bit, diligently seek him, doing your very best to seek God. In John chapter 8 and in verse 24, John chapter 8 and in verse 24, Jesus there just says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am, notice the word he there in King James is italicized. That was added by the translators. Jesus is there saying I am. Ye shall die in your sins. I am, that's the name of God. He goes I am divine. I am part of the Godhead. I am here to die for you. You must believe the word of God. In Luke chapter 13 verses 1 through 5 Luke chapter 13 verses 1 through 5 it says there were present at that season Some that told him, that being Jesus, of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. In other words, he had them executed or killed while they were sacrificing their sacrifices under the law of Moses. And Jesus answering said to them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things? Do you think they were really terrible sinners because that happened? He goes, I tell you nay. No. But except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. Verse 4, of those 18, upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem, because that happened to them? He said, I tell you, nay, no, no. But except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. So we got to hear, he said, You know, we got to hear the Word of God. We got to believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Got to believe the Word of God. Got to repent in Acts chapter 8, verses 35 to 38. Acts 8, 35 to 38. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached to him, the Ethiopian eunuch, Jesus, And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and a eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So there's that good confession. Excuse me, confession. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, as we saw the Ethiopian eunuch do. And shall believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart the man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we're working toward righteousness. We're working toward salvation. And we look in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Ananias told Saul of Tarsus there, and now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized like the Ethiopian eunuch was. He was baptized, and why? And wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Baptism is to wash away sins. In Romans chapter 6 verses 3 and 4 we see how that happens. It says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we, should also, or also should walk in newness of life, and then verses 5 and 6, for if we've been planted together or buried in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified, is put to death in the water where we contact the blood of Christ, that the body of sin might be Destroyed. That body of sin is destroyed in baptism, that henceforth we should not serve sin. In first John chapter one, look at verse seven. First John Chapter one, verse seven. After that, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and notice this. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. The blood continues to cleanse. The word cleanseth there in the present tense. It continues to cleanse as long as verse 9, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, he gave us his plan of salvation, and in Revelation 2:10 he said, be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee the crown of life. So God said, I'm eternal, I'm your creator, I uphold the creation by the word of my power, I own the universe, I require obedience of you, I require your life, I require punishment for sin, and because of that, I have been merciful to you, I sent a savior to rescue you from sin, I gave you your plan of salvation, And God says, now it's up to you. Now it's up to you. You see, God is all these things, and what are we? Well, in Job chapter 42, Job answered the Lord and said, starting in verse 1, I know that thou canst do everything, that no thought of thine can be withholding from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Verse five he says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Now I know thee, I know you. In Psalm 90 verse 12. Psalm 90 verse 12. The Psalmist says so teach us the number or to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Help us understand what we really are. In first Peter chapter one verses twenty four and twenty five. First Peter chapter one verses twenty four and twenty five. He says there, for all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word by the gospel or which by the gospel is preached unto you. Uh, we're just flesh and blood, in other words, and we have no excuse not to obey God. God, In Romans chapter 1, look at verse 18, starting there. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, unrighteousness of men which hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, it's known in them, for God hath shown it to him. And then he says in verse 20, For the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even the, His eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. We have no excuse not to serve God. In Romans chapter 14, verses 11 and 12, Romans fourteen eleven and 12, he says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So it's up to us, Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way, which leadeth unto destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few that there be that find it. So we have no excuse not to serve God. So we need to count the cost, make our decision. Joshua 24:15. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Joshua there said, "And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve." Whether the gods which of your fathers or which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or on the other side of the river, the river Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, God doesn't make us do anything. But he tells us who he is. He's eternal. He's our creator. He upholds the world by his power, word of his power. He owns the universe. He tells us what he requires, and all this is through his word. He requires obedience, he requires our lives, he requires punishment for sin. But he knew that we would sin and transgress his commands, so he sent Christ into the world to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He set forth his plan for our salvation. So now, it's up to us we decide where we're gonna spend eternity. Where will we be in eternity? We're gonna be in heaven or we're gonna be in hell? That is the decision that we make now. It's up to you, it's up to me where we spend eternity. So what gives God the right to tell me what to do? Well, I'll tell you what, he loves us so much That he doesn't want any of us lost, he wants us all to be saved, and that's what he has done for us. So as Romans chapter 12 verse 2 tells us there. But be ye transformed. There, I'll go ahead and go over there and look at that and read it. Romans chapter 12 verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's only logical, It's only makes sense that we would want to do what God requires of us. So again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today, and we look forward to being with you next time.
0: When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program.